All right. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Okay. Anyone sore? All right. You're doing camp right then. Wonderful. All right. As a means of introduction, my name is not Dean, contrary to many opinion. Someone actually stopped me, Josh, over there. He said, hey, Dean. Your name's not Dean, but hey, what's your name? Nate. So my name's Nate, by the way. Uh, we'll do a quick introduction because of time. I want to show you a little bit about myself. Probably the most important thing besides my salvation is my wife, Laura. She's the other dean. Uh, so that's Laura over there. We got married December 30th, just a couple months back. Now, guys, I want to give you a tip. Out on the lake. Lake's back here. No, lake's over there. Where is? Wherever the lake is. Thank you. Back there. There's a nice little spot, nice little bench. It's really romantic. And so that girlfriend that you made that week, if you want to propose, it's a great spot. <laughs> Just saying. It worked for me a year ago in four days. A year ago from four days from now, uh, I proposed to my now wife over there on the beach, and she said yes. So guys, it doesn't hurt to try, right? Doesn't hurt to try. Wonderful. All right, so again, uh, I, I noticed that missionary Nate, he did this, really brought unity, so I thought I would share my sports teams. So just to bring more unity, I want to share with you who are the best sports teams here, all right? Okay. Okay, okay, that's fair. Um, everyone who's booing, you're just ignorant, that's okay. Uh, and I hope what you notice by seeing these sports teams is I love to suffer, right? Um, uh, I'm a Cubs fan, and so that's why that one's smaller. <laughs> uh, I'm a Bears fan. We don't like offense. I'm a Bulls fan. We live in the past. And uh, that's hockey, in case anyone didn't know that one. Uh, by marriage, I'm an Iowa State fan. Okay? I really don't care because, again, I like to suffer, so I'm an Illini fan. Uh, so it's like, how many guys even knew Illinois State had an Illini team? Anyone? One person, wonderful. Yes, okay, that's how, that's how good we are. Uh, again, we live in our past. So there's, there's my teams. If you don't agree, well, you're wrong. All right. Oh, how did I get there? Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's, what in the world? All right, let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. Another little bit of information is uh, my name is Nate Pelletier. I am the Director of Discipleship at Ankeny Christian Academy. Where's my ACA people? You can see we're really proud about that. <laughs> we're just thrilled to represent ACA here at camp. It's like, no, don't talk about me. All right. Uh, so that's where I work at. I attend Community Baptist Church, which is also where I met my wife, just saying. Uh, the first Sunday I attended, she came up to me and says, hi, I'm Laura. Well, hello, Laura. That's not what I said, but that's what I felt. Anyway, all right. Hey, before we dig in, I'm going to ask you guys, just with your neighbor, uh, let's take 30 seconds. I want you to pray with your neighbor and pray, hey, God, will you show me something today through your word? Will you point out where I need to grow? Will you convict me where I need to be convicted? Will you encourage me where I need to be encouragement? So go ahead, just with your neighbor, take about 30 seconds to pray. I'll pray us in, and then we'll dig in.
Father God, we are thankful for this opportunity that we have to spend time in your word. I pray that you will help us as we look into your word and we really try to pinpoint, uh, pinpoint our hearts to see where we're at, to see how we're doing. And Lord, you give us an extremely important message here. And here we get to see two kings, to see the example of how you worked in their lives to point out sin. Lord, I pray you help us that we would be open, that we'd be willing to hear your word in order to see you work in our lives and change us today. Because, Lord, you are worthy of a people who have humbled themselves. You are worthy of a people who live for righteousness and holiness. So, Lord, I pray that you would do the work today and that your name would be magnified. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So we'll be in Daniel chapter 4 and 5. We'll be kind of bouncing around in Daniel for most of the passages today. So if you're in Daniel, you're good. Anyone not in Daniel? All right, it's in the Bible. Look in your concord, not concordance. Look in the beginning of your Bible, you'll find it. Daniel chapter 4 and 5. We're going to talk about two different kings here. They have some really awesome names. Don't name your kids after them because it's not a greatest example. But Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. How many of you guys have never heard of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar before? All right, everyone's expert. Wonderful. So we're going to study Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. We're going to compare them. And what we're going to see is that God specifically worked in their lives to point out sin to point out where they need to grow. And that's one of the beauty about camp. At camp, you get to run, you get to have fun, you get to go play basketball, you get to go and play these competitive games, you get to hang out with people, make crafts, and make funny hats with weird stuff on top of that. But the main point of why we are here is that we're asking God, say, hey, God, can you work on me this week? Now, I know that may not be your main prerogative of why you're here, but that's why we have camp. We want to make sure that you're in the word so that through the word, God can show you where you need to grow. And that's what God does here with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. So we're going to start with Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4. Uh, Daniel chapter 4. Did I say Nebuchadnezzar chapter 4? Okay, that's a pseudograph book. It's not in there. It's not inspired. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 4. That's the inspired word. And I want you to notice in Daniel chapter 4, verse 1, who is writing? Tell me. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. We're hearing directly from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wrote part of Daniel. Isn't that exciting? Everyone go, whoo. Okay, that's exciting. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar. All right, this is going to be a struggle. I'm going to look at this screen over here. Okay. Um, Nebuchadnezzar wrote part of Daniel, and he says, hey, I want to tell you what God did in my life. This is a personal testimony from Nebuchadnezzar. And then he tells us the story. He says, I want to show you what God did in my life. And uh, one of the amazing things here is you have a pagan who is proclaiming God. Tomorrow's message, we'll see how Daniel's impact, how Daniel made an impact on that. But starting in verse 4, I won't read the whole, I won't read it, but Nebuchadnezzar tells about a dream that he had. During these times, God would communicate with people through dreams, and Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And then he said, whoa, I had this dream, I don't know what it means. Someone please tell me what it means. And everyone came and was like, I don't know, Nebuchadnezzar. This is a tough one. There's a bunch of different things, a bunch of different elements, I don't know what it means. Let's get Daniel. Why? Because Daniel was specially gifted for a time as this to interpret dreams for guys like Nebuchadnezzar and the other kings that he'll deal with. Daniel was gifted in this way. So what was this dream that he had? Well, positive dramatic effect. He had a dream about this massive 
tree. This tree grew and it had all these different colors in its leaves, it had all these different fruits in it. And then as this tree was growing, all these animals came and they made their residence in this tree. They made it their home. So you had all the birds of different kinds, all the animals underneath. But then there was a holy one, a watcher. Look at verse 13. He said, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. From heaven, He proclaimed aloud and said, thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip it off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds in its branches, but leave the stump. So here's this voice that comes out. Everything starts scattering. This tree's going to get chopped down, and all that's left is this stump. And actually what they do is they put this, like, kind of, it's kind of like a metal cap, a metal band around this tree. And it's like, okay, what's going on? Why is there a tree? Why are there animals? Why is it up? And then it's down. Why is all these things happening? Why is there this voice? What's the point here? Look at verse 17 with me. Here's, here's why. Here's what the Holy One says. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the Holy Ones, to the end, and here's the point, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowest, lowliest of men. So that the living, all right, if you're alive, raise your hand. Okay, every hand should be going up. Okay, this is talking to you. This holy one is declaring, I gave you this dream. I'm having you have this vision so that all people can know that our God is sovereign. That our God is the one who establishes who is the ruler. Our God is the one who puts people on the throne, who takes people off the throne, that he's in control. So Nebuchadnezzar has this wonderful dream, and then he wakes up like, what in the world? What does all this mean? None of my magicians, none of my people can interpret this dream for me. I don't know what's going on. Let's go get Daniel. Because Daniel's done this before. He could tell me what's going on. So they get Daniel, and Daniel, when he hears his dream, he's afraid. He's afraid. He's like, I don't want to tell you what it means. Not because I don't know, because I'm, I'm afraid for you, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to you, because Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree. You have, a, you have this wonderful kingdom. You have, you have stretched your arms so far that you have power over all these different nations. All these people are brought underneath you. You have all this control and all this power given to you by God. Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree, and God's going to chop you down because he wants to teach you a lesson. Because Nebuchadnezzar, your head's getting big. You're starting to think all this is you. You think all this is all about you and what you have done. But you know what? God has decreed that you'll be driven away until you know that he is sovereign. Until you understand that God is in control. Until you acknowledge it's not about you. And so Daniel interprets this dream. He says, you know what? Uh, actually, another point before that. Here's the, here's the underline. God wants you to know Daniel 4.25. And that verse is written there underneath you. What did God want you to know? He wants you to know verse 25. Let's go look at Daniel 4.25. Go back one more verse to verse 24. Daniel 4.24 says, This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, 
which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, that your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. What Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar is that, you know what, God's at work in your life. He's giving you a warning. He's going, hey, Nebi. That's why I call Nebuchadnezzar for short, because Nebuchadnezzar is such a long name. Hey, Nebi, <laughs> guess what? Your head's getting big. You're thinking this is all about you. You're thinking you're all powerful. You're thinking you're something special. Be careful. I'm going to work in your life to remind you who's in charge. I'm going to work in your life to remind you who is sovereign. I'm going to work in your life to remind you who is in control. I want you to notice as we look through Nebuchadnezzar, uh, look through Daniel, go to Daniel chapter 1. Look at the many instances in Daniel where God specifically is working in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And what is the point of this is showing that God is in control, that God's been doing all these things, all these longs across all these various different years, that God is the one who is giving Nebuchadnezzar what he has. God is giving Nebuchadnezzar the position, the power, everything that he has. Look at one. Verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of, of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Whose hands? Nebuchadnezzar's hands. How did Nebuchadnezzar conquer Jerusalem? Because God allowed it. God let him. It says that God gave them over to him. Go to chapter 2, verse 37. Here, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and at this time, he doesn't even tell the people what the dream is. He says, I, you know what? I want you to tell me what my dream was and then interpret it, just so I know that you're not trying to stab me in the back or lie to me or make me feel good. So Daniel comes, tells him the dream, and then gives him the interpretation. But looking at verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory. And to whose hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. Why was Nebuchadnezzar so successful? Why was Nebuchadnezzar one of the great kings that we get to see throughout history? Because God allowed it. Because God worked in his life. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to use you. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know a thing about God. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 45. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, talking about the dream, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, its interpretation is sure. So Nebuchadnezzar is receiving this dream from God. Go to chapter 3, verse 28. Here you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the three guys who faced the fiery furnace. And then look at Nebuchadnezzar's after that they were pulled out of the fire, actually after they walk out of the fire, in Daniel 3, verse 28, he says, Nebuchadnezzar answered, said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. 
How did they get there? How did all this happen? Because God was showing himself to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar got so mad at these three young guys, he says, make the fire seven times greater, throw them in, kill them, get rid of them. Why? Because they weren't worshiping his God. But then God spared their lives. They came out of the fire. Why? To show Nebuchadnezzar, you're not in charge. You're not in control. You're not the boss. And then you get to Daniel chapter 4 in our passage that we're at, that we just read. Why are all these things happening? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God working in people's lives? It's to show them that he's in control. That he is sovereign. That he is in charge. That life is not about Nebuchadnezzar. Life is about God. So, what happens next? Well, Daniel, again, one thing you're going to see about Daniel over and over again is that he has compassion for people. It's not like he's excited. Yes, our enemy is going to be destroyed. This is an exciting day. He's actually fearful for Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you know what? Here's what needs to happen. Look at verse 27 with me. For, for verse 27, he says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. So he says, all right, God is working your life. He, he's going to humble you if you're not careful. You need to watch out. So here's what you need to do in order to honor God. You need to break from your sin. The way that you're living, you're living against the commandments of God. You're living in, in disagreements in what he has established. Again, who's in control? God or Nebuchadnezzar? God. And so if he gives the command of where you're supposed to live, that's what I'm supposed to follow. But if I'm living in sin, I'm living after what I want to do, after my desires and my passions, that's a sin that's separating me from God. And when I'm deciding that this is how I'm going to live because this is what I want to do, regardless of what God has said, I'm pretending that I'm in control. I'm pretending that I'm in charge. I'm pretending that I have authority. And we're starting to see how this sin of pride, really what it does, it puts us on the same level of God. At least we're pretending to be on the same level of God. Uh, you know that, that that was Satan's sin. Satan said that I will rise and be on the level of God. That I will rise and have people worship me. That I will ascend. That I will get there. That I, that I, that I. It was all about him. That he wanted to get to the same level of God so that he could be in control. And that's why he fell. Nebuchadnezzar, most of you, if you know the story, you know that he's going to turn into a beast uh, for about seven years. He's going to have these feathers and these like, hair-like feather, these claws. He's going to have a mindless mind. Why? He says, because I am this awesome person, because I have made this kingdom, because I have established this, and I have done this, and I, and I, and I, and I. And God's like, no, you're not. <laughs> it's not about you. Do you know, how many guys heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay. You know what Ezekiel Ezekiel the prophet, in Ezekiel chapter 16, I think it's verse 43. Do you know what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that God set down these great massive balls of fire to destroy? The first one that's listed, because of their pride. Because they felt like they were in control, that they knew best, that they can decide to do what they want, that life was about them. And what did God do? God humbled them. Here in America, we have this month called Pride Month. And what do we do and what do we celebrate? We celebrate the person's decision to do what they want. 
I don't care what has been established. I don't care what the right order is. I don't care what God has said. But because it's Pride Month, I'm proud about who I am and what I decided to be and what I want to do. You starting to see the danger of what's happening here? We are repeating the same sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're repeating the same sins of Nebuchadnezzar. And we're repeating the same sins of Satan. That we are thinking that we are in control, that we are in charge, that we get to make those decisions about the life that we have. But as we're going to see, as God works in Nebuchadnezzar's life, that's not true. And so what, how, do you, how do you come back from this? If you're living this life of pride where life is all about you, that you make your decisions, that you decide what college you get to go to, that you decide who you're going to marry, that you decide what career you're going to have, that you decide fill in the blank. What is the danger of that? How do I break away from that? Well, you need to break away from your sins. It's a separation. That I can't stay close to my sin. I need to be separated from that sin. I need to practice righteousness. So this is the principle of put off, put in, and put on in Ephesians chapter 4. I need to put off the sin, put in the word of God, and now put on righteousness so that I can live the way that God wants me to. Why? Because God is sovereign. Because God is in control. And life is about him. And then notice... This last one's interesting. Show mercy. It's interesting how when we're talk, asking, how prideful am I? Or how can I know if I am prideful? Daniel points out his interaction with other people. How do you act towards other people? Nebuchadnezzar, you're not compassionate towards the needy. Nebuchadnezzar, you're not kind towards other people. And why is that? It's because of your pride. And that if you have broken relationships in your life, there's a lot of things going on. I understand that. But one of those things is pride in one way or the other. Especially when we talk about our relationship with God. If our relationship with God is not where it should be, if it's not aligned where it should be, it's because there's pride separating us. In a relationship with God, there is no room for pride. There's no room for me being first. As we discussed last night, we are supposed to be willing to give ourselves up as a, as a willing sacrifice to God. We are to willingly surrender all rights. Romans chapter 6 says that we are slaves for Christ. I think an interesting thing when you look at the two words of the difference between slave and servant. Servant kind of focuses on the task. Slave focuses on the master. Your relationship with God, do you view yourself as a slave for his cause? Well, that's a harsh term. That's a really rough word. We don't like the word slave, but it's biblical. That you have no rights for your own. And that it's by the mercies of God that because Christ died on the cross and that, that God placed our sins on him and that he died, that he suffered, and that he paid our penalty because of that, that I don't have to face God's wrath anymore. Because of what Christ has done for me, I should be willing to surrender all things for him. What things? My schedule, my time. My friends, my career, my life. I should be willing to put all things before him and live open-handedly. And the principle is this. That my relationship with God is the open-handed relationship. Because what you notice is, who gave Nebuchadnezzar his success? Thank you. Who gave Nebuchadnezzar his success? God. 
God's the one who gave him the power to destroy nations. God's the one who gave him the ability and the army to go and conquer people. God's the one who gave him the ability to rule a nation. The problem is Nebuchadnezzar lived a life that was closed-handed. That he received all these things from God, but that he kept it for himself. He kept it. He says, God, you've given this to me, and it's mine. He lived a closed-fisted relationship with God. Being a slave to Christ is living open-handedly. Where God can give me my family, my abilities, my intelligence, my looks, my, what else is there? Food? <laughs> my stuff, right? That God can give me all these, all these things, but that he can take them and do whatever he wants with it. My question for you today is, how are you living today? God has gifted every single one of you for a specific purpose. God has gifted you in order to magnify his name in a very special way. Some of you are musical. That he's giving you voices or, 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 or abilities to play instruments. Some of you are, are athletic. That you can play sports well and you can score and win or lose tournaments here at camp. Uh, God's giving you abilities to be funny. God's giving you fill in the blank. But as God has given you all of these things, he's placed these in your hands, what are you doing with it? Are you using your sports, your athletic ability, just for your glory? Just for your pleasure? Are you using them to give back to God? Are you using that personality you have, that charming personality where you can just go up and talk to anyone? Are you using that for your personal sake, for your personal glory? Are you living open-handedly before God says, God, thank you for giving me this, but this is yours. And anytime you want to take it, anytime you want it, it's yours. And as long as it's in my hands, I will live for you and serve you with these things. Daniel read this dream and he saw that Nebuchadnezzar needed to break from his sins. He needed to practice righteousness. He needed to show mercy to other people. He needed to repent and change. And he is begging Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, please, you got to leave your pride. You got to understand that this whole life is not about you. And that's my challenge to you this morning. Teenager, you need to leave your pride. You need to understand life's not about you. And I understand why this is hard. Our whole world system is all about you. You need to do what you want. You need to do what makes you happy. Feels good? Do it. Makes sense to you? Believe it. And it's all focused on you. But the truth of the reality of life is life is not about you. You would even make your own life. God is the one who holds the very breath that's in your lungs right now. And at any moment, God can decide to take that. We have this false ideology that we are in control of my life, that I can do whatever I want because life's about me. It's a lie. You need to understand this truth. Life's not about you. Life is all about God. But God's mercy on us, he allows us to be part of his plan. He includes us to say, hey, I'm going to use you in a special way to magnify my name. That's your purpose. Your purpose in life is to magnify the name of God. And when you hear that and you go, eh, that doesn't sound like what I want to do. I'd rather do something else. You're being prideful. You're living in pride. 
When you're making the statement that I don't want to live for God's glory or I don't want to make my life all about God, I want to have some stuff for me, I want to have this about, this, this is my thing, I want that, God's given that to you. And now you're closing your hands before God and saying these things that you've given to me, they're mine. And they're not. And what you need to do is you need to repent, you need to change, and you need to leave your pride. Nebuchadnezzar gets humbled. Look down at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Does that sound a little arrogant? But... What would that look like in my life? Is not this life that I have built by my powers, all the people in my life, and the glory of my power? If we were to kind of translate that into modern day language about our lives, that's kind of what it would sound like. And that's how some of you are living. That your life is about the things that you have built, about your glory, about your power. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with a beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over. Until what? Until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled. Here's another question for you. What does God do in your life to get your attention? You thought about that? What hardships, what blessings, what goodness, what, you know, whatever, what is God allowing to happen in your life in order that he can get your attention to show you life is not about you? As the prophets would say, consider your ways. You notice how you're not getting the success that you're wanting? It's because you're going about the wrong way. You're going about it for you. What is God calling you to do? What does God want you to do? Nebuchadnezzar did not recognize God's sovereignty in his life. And he suffered the consequences for that. But look at what happens afterwards. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. Notice how he says, when I came back to my senses, when I came back to the right set of mindset, when I came back to the right way of thinking, what was his first words? I bless God. I praise him. I honor him. Him who lives forever. Why? For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? You notice the comparison? I encourage you to go back, compare verses 34 and 35 to verse uh, 30. I think Nebuchadnezzar learned the lesson. Like, man, this life is not about me. I am not in control of my life. It is God who is sovereign. And when he came to his right mind, 
he understood that it's God's in control. God abased Nebuchadnezzar until he, Nebuchadnezzar, humbled himself. We won't take the time now, but I encourage you to turn to that you would go to James 4, 6 through 10. And this is the passage that says that God resists the proud. The word resist has the idea of fighting against, of getting in the way and stopping them. And it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you actually want to do great things in life, or if you actually want to live life to the fullest, you need the grace of God. If you want to live this life that God has given you to its absolute fullest, there cannot be pride because God will resist and fight against you. God resists. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Which one do you feel in your life? Do you feel like God has given you his grace to do his will? Or do you feel like that maybe there's a little bit of resistance? And why would that be? Maybe it's time to have a real heart-to-heart with God. Say, God, is there pride in my life? God, am I living this life for me? Am I making decisions for my sake? And that God would work in your life and humble you. But there's another dude. And we won't take as long as with this guy because essentially it's the same story. But there's Belshazzar. Now, I will tell you that Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. What it means is that he's of the same lineage. Uh, we're going to go through quick here. Notice that ne- Belshazzar is actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And after Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 B.C., it took a couple years. It took about, what would that be? Uh, six years, all right. It took about six years for Belshazzar to become king, grown man. What is this pointing out? Belshazzar was alive, or at least was a child, when Nebuchadnezzar went through what he just went through. Okay? So keep that in mind. So here's what happened here. Six years later, after Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar had a party. He had a great massive party. Let's read that. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for thousands of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar knew exactly what he was doing here. He asked that these vessels be brought and that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them, that they brought in the golden vessels and had taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. Where are these vessels from? The house of God. Everyone knows it. And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. These things that were made for God were being used in the wrong way. These things were made for the temple of God, for the honor of God, for the glory of God. But this king, Belshazzar, he took him and says, I'm going to use it for my purpose. I'm going to use it for me. I'm going to worship the gods that I want to worship because this is what makes me feel good. This is what makes me feel happy. And what happens next? As Belshazzar is there, he looks on the back wall. All of a sudden, there's this hand. And it is writing. How many of you guys can read that? Okay, good. There's a couple of you guys. I hope I spelled it right. Um, and there's like, what is that? There's this hand, and it's writing something, and I can't write it. 
What is that? And so they get all the people. It's like, can you interpret that? Can you tell us what it means? There's something special going on here. And then do you know who it is that go gets Daniel? It says the queen. Look at verse 10. The queen, that's not his wife. It's either his mother or his grandmother, which means that this queen is either Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, daughter-in-law, or is Nebuchadnezzar's wife. And she said, there's a man who is able to interpret things. He has done these things before. And your father, your grandfather, used him a lot. And so what did they do? They went and they got Daniel. So, all right, we got this party going on. This, 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 hand, this right on the wall is happening. We can't read it. We got to get Daniel. He's going to answer the question here. And what does Daniel do? Look at verse 18. I actually go back one more verse. Go back to verse 17. I do that a lot. I apologize. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father's kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And he goes on and on and on to tell him, here's what God did in your grandfather's life to teach him a lesson. And uh, you know what? You didn't learn it. Go to verse 23. And apparently we're going to read through verse 23. Again, we're going to go back just to get that context. Look at verse 21. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Until, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets, sets, it over, sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, his grandson, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, You know your grandfather's life. You know what God did in his life. You know what God did to humble him and how God has given him everything that he has. But Belshazzar, you didn't learn. You didn't take the lesson serious. Teenager, God has you here today. He's having you hearing this message because he's getting your attention. Life is not about you. It's all about him. Last night nailed it, that we are to be 100% fully surrendered to the service of God. And that is not where our life is at. Do you know why? It's pride. Because I'm living life for myself. So this writing is on the wall. Daniel comes in. He says, well, I'll tell you what it means. It means mene, mene, tekel, parasin. Well, thanks a lot, Daniel. What does that mean? It means this. Daniel says that, you know what, Belshazzar, your days are numbered. You have had a limited time, and you've been found wanting. Your life's been put in a scale, and it doesn't add up. You've been living for yourself and not for God. And now, Belshazzar, the Persians are right out of the gate, and they're going to take this kingdom from you. Teenager, your days are numbered. You have a limited amount of time to live. That's not meant to scare you. It's meant to help you get serious. That God has given you this life for however long it is. 
will you be found wanting? When God looks at your life, is he saying, there's a teenager who's living for me. There goes a teenager who's not about themselves. There's a teenager who is fully surrendered to whatever I ask. There's a teenager whose hands are open before me. You may be living for your own kingdom, for your own purpose, for your own glory, but know this, God will not be mocked. And as he has given you that kingdom, he can just as quickly take it away. Why? Life is not about you. It's about God. So we look at, compare these two kings, what do you notice? Nebuchadnezzar, he recognized the sovereignty of God, and God blessed. Belshazzar didn't. I know that's not like a great massive point, but that is the point. <laughs> you compare these two kings, one guy recognized God's sovereignty in life, the other one didn't. And here's the key verse. Go back to chapter 4. Here's the main point. So as Nebuchadnezzar is summing up and he's giving praise to God, look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. What is God writing on the wall of your heart today? What message is God, what sin is God convicting you of? What idol is God pointing out in your life? Where do you need encouragement? Because teenager, you are here for a purpose. Our God is sovereign. He knows exactly what he is doing. He knows the messages that you need. And he's, he, he's writing these messages and say, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. Some of you folks need to get saved. And you're wrestling with this. You say, but if I, 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 I just can't fully trust. I don't want to give up this sin. I, I, I want my life to be mine. God is right on the heart of your wall today saying it's time to turn. It's time to repent. It's time to accept my wonderful gift of salvation that I have given to you. Some of you guys are not wanting to surrender to the life of ministry because, like, I won't make the money. I won't have the nice house. As it was said earlier, I might have to marry someone ugly. God is right on the, heart of your, on the wall of your heart today. He says, I want you to surrender to me. So my question is for you. What is God right in your heart this week that you need to respond to? Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for these examples that we have. And two, two people from the same family and who clearly that you, are working, you have worked in their lives to make the main point that life is not about them, but life's all about you. And Lord, this message has been given to us, the living, that we would see that you and you alone are God. Lord, I pray for every teenager here that if they are living a life of pride, that you would point that out, that they would be convicted, and that they would repent and change. And God, for those who have not accepted this wonderful gift of salvation, I pray that today will be the day that they see how loving and kind and caring you are and how you have given this over, you have given this gift of salvation to us. May this be the day that they get over their pride and surrender 
to what you're doing in their lives. It's in your name I pray. Amen.